Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, Pastor Starr. No other prize as great as the one of seeking His face. I trust you've done that already today, and it's the pattern of your life. Let's take our Bibles this morning as we prepare our hearts for the message. Jeremiah, please, chapter 1. Jeremiah, chapter 1, beginning a series today entitled, Standing Strong. Let's begin this morning with a word of prayer, shall we, Father? It is a great joy to be uh, here in this house and Uh, And we're thankful for our country. We do pray for those who are in authority over us. It seems like it's a big mess there in Washington, and I know that is echoed through many state and local governments. We do pray, Lord, that you would give us space, freedom, and liberty to preach the gospel. And even if that uh, liberty diminishes, I pray that you'll give the church great backbone of character to stand in an evil day and having done all to stand. We do pray that You will bolster our confidence in the Word of God and the kingdom of God. We're thankful for the privilege we have to proclaim the truth that sets men free. We're grateful for the examples in Scripture, men such as Jeremiah, Daniel, others that stood in a difficult time. I pray that you would prepare our hearts for that same mission in our day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah chapter 1, one of Uh, The great prophets in the Old Testament, he ministered about 600 years before the coming of Christ. I want to begin a series, it won't be a long protracted series in the Sunday morning time frame, on the topic of standing strong, fearless living. A biblical response really to what I believe is the growing tide of anti-Christian sentiment in our world. I don't know if you sensed it or not. In this world, the Bible says you will have tribulation, and more so as the day approaches. Are you prepared to stand strong? I hope these messages will steal or enforce your backbone for what surely are to be troublesome times for the church in America. We, like Judah of old, are in a mess today. When Jeremiah was the premier prophet in Judah, as I mentioned 600 years before Christ, times were tough for Christians, true believers. And he became the last voice, really, of reason, the last call to repentance before Judah was taken into captivity. By whom? Remember who who took Judah away into captivity? Babylon, correct. And so he became this last hand out, or extended hand of mercy to the people saying, turn to Christ before it is too late. Turn back to God. Well, His ministry, as I mentioned, spanned five decades. Started in the 13th year of good King Josiah, around 627 B.C., and was finalized after the deportation, his deportation to Egypt, and of course the deportation of Judah to Babylon. He became known as the weeping prophet. In fact, there's an interesting scene in chapter 9. As uh, of Jeremiah, as God is essentially boarding up the temple, getting ready to abandon his people, in a sense, because of their sin, at least abandon his ministry to the people in the land of Judah. And, and the picture is Jeremiah, he's in the courtyard weeping buckets of tears. He said, oh, that my eyes were fountains of water. 
for the sin of my people. He is a compassionate prophet, but one who spoke without apology the words of the Lord. We're looking at the theme of standing strong. Are you now currently standing up for Christ in the very the, the obvious daily web and move of life. Are you standing strong in your job? Are you standing strong now in your family? For if you are not, how in the world will you stand when temptation, or excuse me, when trials become more and more aggressive? Well, after 40 years of warning the people, the Lord essentially says, I've warned you people long enough. So mercy, I've sent you the prophets, but now I will send you, Judah, after all these years of warning, into captivity. I've told you, and I've told you, and I've warned you, and I've warned you. Did you know there is coming a time when God will say to us, enough is enough. And for five monarchies in Judah, Jeremiah's cry is, return to God, flee from idols, or God will take the voice of your mirth and singing away, the voice of gladness and the voice of your bride and bridegroom, your festivals, the sound of your millstones, just the the sound of business in the streets every day, the light of your candles, and I will silence and snuff out, that's the truth of Jeremiah 24, and I will make your land desolate. And this prophet Jeremiah, that was his message day in and day out for over 40 years through five monarchies. Imagine if on the marquee of our church, Bible Baptist, it was the same series, the same title or topic for 45 years. Visitors welcome, but the topic will be God's judgment upon sin. Repent or receive from God the just reward of your departures. Imagine that. Return to God, Hampton, or you will be destroyed. Visitors, welcome. The message was the same, a.m., p.m., Wednesday night, month to month, year to year. It's like looking into the face of the sun. You can't do that for long. Either you repent, right? Get right with God, or what happens? God's judgment will surely come. Jeremiah, they kept saying, give us something new. Give us something, here's the word, positive. Change it up, Jeremiah. We want something, we want preachers and pastors who tickle our ears a little bit. And I'm not, this is not pick on Joel Olstein Sunday, but he was asked by Oprah Winfrey, Um, a while back about what he thought about sin and why he didn't preach on sin more than he did. And uh, we've got some book titles here uh, from this famous preacher that pastors one, if not the largest church in America today in Houston, Lakewood Church. She was asked by Oprah, why don't you preach much about sin? And his answer was, well, people all know that they struggle with sin. We all know that. But I don't focus on that, he said. Instead, my message is about emptying out the negative and attracting the positive. People, he said, need a a positive message today. It's a tough world out there. And here's what he said. If you have a positive, a positive mindset, a frame of mind, you attract positive things in your life. That's really warmed up 
uh, philosophy from Buddha, the law of attraction. There are, here's what Buddha says, or said. There are powers inside of you which, if you can discover and use and make much of, they will make you everything you ever dreamed or imagined, these powers within you. And so here's the lie that the devil's been telling us through preachers and others for years and years, philosophers through years. Man is basically good. From his book, Best Life Now, here's a, a, a phrase, the more you talk about negative things in your life, the more you call them in. So speak victory, not defeat. There is a miracle in your mouth. You were born to be happy, healthy, and whole. The message seems to be the same from all these health, wealth, prosperity preachers. From his book, again, Best Life Now. And by the way, that ought to be an indicator to us, right? If you're living your best life now, all that awaits for you is hell in the afterlife. It does get better in heaven. He's what he says. Quote, all of us were born for greatness. You were born to win. God wants you to live in abundance. You were born to be a champion. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. To be happy, healthy, and whole. But when your thinking becomes contaminated, what does he mean by that? Negative thoughts. Not sin, just negative thoughts. It's no longer in line with God's word. What, what word is that in... If he were to define that word, Mr. Olstein would say it's this word that wells up within you that drives you to success, your inner light. So speak positivity, empty out the negative because there's a miracle in your mouth. Speak great things. But friends, that's the demonic attraction that's been around for years. It started in the garden. Eve, you can be great, but don't do it God's way. Speak great things. And it, of course, showed up again in person at the Mount of what? The temptation or the wilderness where he tried to get Christ to fail or sin based on these promises of popularity. If you just jump off the temple pinnacle, wow, everybody will be impressed with you and you will be popular. And this is a song we no longer sing in the church. I had to think about Job and Isaiah and so many of the prophets that were sawn asunder or persecuted. How do they fit into this? You were born to be happy, <laughs> healthy, and whole. Job, cheer up. You need to read my book. We don't sing it much anymore. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, bruised and broken by the fall. By the way, it's why we don't witness much to that Dear sweet old widow lady up the street, because we think she's good enough to get into heaven on her own good works. Hey, we're sinners desperate. None of us are seeking after God in our own strength. We're far and so even our righteousness, as the Bible says, are in the eyes of God offensive as filthy rags. And unless we see ourselves as helpless apart from God, we'll never cry out to Him. And preachers that kind of butter you up by saying, you're good, basically, are really preaching heresy to us today. So Paul in prison <clears throat> could have read this book, or he uh, was more faithful, thankfully, 
the truth. And he said, pray for me that I would make the gospel manifest boldly in a culture where courage is being canceled by persecution. I was filling out some paperwork. <clears throat> I was filling out some paperwork uh, just this week, uh, application for something. I can't remember what it was now, but uh, one of the questions was, um, of what gender are you? This is the first time it's happened in my life, and I'm 60 years old. I'll just go ahead and admit that, 60 years old. First time in my life this has happened, male, female, or other. What other is there? But our culture is being washed away in this mindlessness. And what used to be truth is no longer heralded from pulpits. This is a, a day in which you're, as, as Brother Pyle mentioned for us in Sunday school class, you may lose your job simply because you believe the truth. And you're not going to shut up about it. You're going to live it. Already preachers in Canada are being sent to jail because they're keeping their churches open. Hey, this kind of persecution is coming here. I'm just telling you, warning you, that we need to be ready. And then, it doesn't surprise us that this, this perverse deception is promoted. It's been around for years, right? Since as old as the devil himself, we've been talking about alternative forms of the origins of life for years in our school. We have promoted the theory, which is now embraced as reality, of evolution, that man, all the complexity. I mean, I just walked out of my house this morning and enjoyed the morning air, the beauty of Georgia in the spring, and the flowers, the birds singing. All this order and complexity. The clouds were where they were yesterday. A little more sunshine today. How does this happen? Well, the theory is it happened because out there in the netherworld, a big explosion happened. And yet all these thinking men who are so embracing of this, this theology, I mean, this really, it's this theory full of holes, would not build a factory where they would say to their workers as they began the new industry, there are 12 lines in this factory. In each line, the product we're making becomes more and more complex as its parts are put together. But here's how we're going to start it all off. We're going to put all the parts together in a big pot, and we're going to fire it up and explode this thing. And from all these pieces, we just know that if we give it enough time, our product will sell because it'll be just so... Give it enough time, all these pieces will reassemble, and that's how we're going to do this, Okay. No, that's stupidity. And yet we embrace that as truth. We can't answer the question about where are the transitional pieces of the puzzle? How did it start? We don't know, but we want God out of it. And so it all started with an explosion. So here comes the prophet Jeremiah. We're getting to him, I, I promise. And instead of accommodating to all the gods around him, the Canaanitish gods, 
as the religious system was beginning to embrace all these godlets around them and had for years, in fact, they embraced them to the point where they were bringing them into the temple courtyard. There were idols set up to false deities within the complex of the temple. Theistic evolution is no different than that, where we have decided, well, okay, maybe, maybe God's hand is in this thing, but it's all by starts and fits and spurts. God got his job done, but it took, took thousands and thousands of years. No, listen, God doesn't need our help to do his job. Politicians, too, today are thinking that God is asleep. So taking the moment to cancel or erase the God-centered fingerprints in our Constitution, courage was required in Jeremiah's day as it is today. The preachers today, as I've already mentioned, have forgotten that the truth is what we need. O Jerusalem, wash thy heart from wickedness. The problem is our sinfulness. That thou mayest be saved. How long shall these vain thoughts lodge within thee? What vain thoughts? The vain thought that other gods can help us. The answer is clear. It isn't negativity that is our problem Joel Osteen's large church notwithstanding. It's not necessarily injustice or intolerance that's a problem with America, although it's a problem. Our greatest need is God. Our greatest need is a Savior. Our greatest need is repentance from our sin that we embrace. And so his message for 45 years was the same. Love the God that loves you most and provided for you all the privileges of the promised land. What other God is there like this God that can take you from Egypt and that can take you through the Red Sea, can bring you to this place of promise and plenty? What other God is there? Mm. The answer preachers come up today throughout negativity and justice and the positive vibrations. This again is a quote, positive vibrations in your soul will resonate with the universe around you and all these powers will coalesce together to make your dreams come true. Unity with the cosmos or cosmos, that's just warmed over Hinduism. And you listen, folks, I'm telling you, you listen carefully to nutritionists today, to sports therapists, to educators, to the pulpits, to spiritual humanists. They declare the same thing, man is God. And you will find him everywhere, all around you and in you. And this unified religion will be, of course, the very fulcrum that will lead us into the end times. Will America learn from Jeremiah and Judah's history or repeat it? The answer is clear. I believe we're living in what's called the pre-captivity generation. I don't know... Uh, where America will go, but if she continues on this track without repentance, she will go into captivity. It's growing, as one of my preacher friends used to say, gloriously dark. So will you stand? If we cannot identify genders anymore, uh, we're in trouble. If we don't know where we came from or where we're going, if we love Uh, The gods of success, health, peace, safety, longevity, unity, solidarity, pleasure, sexual expression, more than God himself, we're on a track called destruction. Or 
If we want to build a tower to find God our own way as they did, the tower of Babel, and worship a God that we have decided to worship by our own calling, and here's what we're doing in society. We're building the pyramid again so that we can have a God that we can access who doesn't control us, who doesn't tell us what right and wrong is. And in the shadow of this great pyramid, all nations will gather together and God will say, it is enough. You tried that once before. And God, God is offended <clears throat> and His mercy <clears throat> on planet earth we know, will not be extended forever. I just want to share some principles. That's a long time to be on the runway, I know. But I want to share some principles that might be of help to us in terms of our own courage. Courage begins with a calling from God. Look at it here in Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priest, he grew up in a ministry family. His daddy, Jeremiah's daddy, was a priest. They were in Anathoth, the land of Benjamin, three miles north east of Jerusalem. This was a bedroom community for the ministry, for folks in the ministry. He grew up in a good home. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, who was a good king for the most part, the son of Amnon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. We believe that Jeremiah was probably in his teens or early 20s when God called him to this specific ministry. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Unto the end, he's looking here now at the span of the kings to which Jeremiah would minister. Unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month of the year 586. Then the, Lord of the, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, oh, Here's the calling. Courage begins with a calling. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. And here comes the excuses. Have you ever made them? Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. We think of Moses. I I stutter. I can't do this. For I'm a child. He's saying I'm inexperienced. Who will listen to a a young person. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, over the kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, throw down, to build, and to plant. Here's the calling we see of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born again in a ministry family. His daddy a priest. And this is not a long, this is not a time for a long discussion about the will of God versus the will of man, the sovereignty of God against the responsibility of man. We know that they work together in tandem. But God voices his choice that began before Jeremiah even had a voice. Even in the womb, before the womb, God had a purpose for his life, as does God for you and me. God has a purpose for us. He said in verse 5, I have ordained thee a prophet to the nations. It seems as if Jeremiah didn't have a choice. Ever been to a fifth or excuse me, a K-5 graduation? 
Where do you want to be when you grow up? They all want to be what? Veterinarians. It's amazing. One guy was honest. He said, I want to work at McDonald's. <laughs> there ought to be just a, a superfluity of veterinarians around, vets. There just ought to be. The Lord has a plan for your life. It's a calling. We see it repeated in a general sense for all believers in Ephesians chapter 1, that you might be to the praise of the glory of His grace. You may be without blame before Him in love, that you might profess the gospel with your life. But for this man, he had a unique calling as a prophet. And it predated Jeremiah's birth date. And already he's got excuses when, the, when he hears about this. Verse 6, I'm quiet. I'm not a bold leader. You've got the wrong guy. But Jeremiah's calling was God-initiated. It predated Jeremiah's birth date. This is the most reassuring, settling thing in our fear-filled world. It is this, that God has a purpose for the church and has a purpose for every believer within the church. God has a reason for you to be here. You're not just a leaf on a river floating and drifting along to some unknown destination. No, God has a reason for you to be here. It's your calling in life. And you and I better be attached to that. There was a definite calling from God for Jeremiah, and there has been a definite calling for us. As the Father hath sent me, finish that. So send I you, John 20, 21. You say, well, that's to the disciples. What about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 19 and 20? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That must be more than just those 11 disciples to whom he was speaking. It must include us because it includes the end of the age. They were faithful to the Great Commission in their dispensation. We have to be faithful to it in ours. That's your calling. Teach, preach, baptize. Say, so, well, I, I still think that was more just to the disciples. Peter, James, and John. But we can't, they can't reach our generation. Paul tells us, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Our message is be reconciled. So you have a calling. And those, those are your, you must understand that's your standing ground. In a day when truth is being assailed, assaulted, you and I must be confident, as Paul mentioned of his gospel call, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. What is the gospel and are you standing in it and are you sharing? It is your heaven-sent responsibility. He says of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. Put your feet down. The gospel, by which also ye are saved. Christ died, buried, rose again according to the Scriptures. What are you standing on? Isn't it great that Jeremiah, early in life, knew why he was called and what he was called to? And we should teach our children early in days, especially 
where there is rising persecution, the calling of God upon their lives. Young people, I don't know what you're going to do with your lives, but know this. God has called you to know the gospel, to share it effectively, often, consistently, compassionately, with all your soul, strength, and might. As long as you live, stand (laughs) on the gospel. Live by it. Courage begins with a calling. Courage is fortified I believe by knowing your message, we've already alluded to this, Jeremiah 1.7. And that is, I'm going to put words in your mouth. You might not be a natural speaker. Have you ever heard someone's voice? I mean, you didn't know them very well. They haven't, maybe you just heard them speaking in a store somewhere. And you just thought, that guy ought to be a preacher. <laughs> His voice resonates. It's low. It's demand. It's authoritative. He's a, he ought to be a preacher. I, I don't know, but here's a great illustration for the fact that maybe God isn't that impressed with voice quality. But we must understand our courage is not within us or a personality or a style. It is in his message. He says this, verse 7, Don't say I'm a child or you're inexperienced or you're not a good speaker. Go, you will, to all that I send you, and whatsoever I command thee, that is what you'll say. Don't make stuff up. Don't tell people what they want to hear. People everywhere want to know that they're good, getting better by the moment. They want to know that there's great prosperity for them if they just send in a thousand bucks to your ministry. They want to know how good they are. They want to be fluffed up in their their self-centered pride. They don't want negativity. But oh, listen, we're not helping anybody if we skip over the fact that they're sinners in need of God. Even the grandma down the street needs Christ because she, in her own merit, cannot build a bridge to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thirdly, not only is the message vital, courage is based on a promise. We see it in verse 8, be not afraid of their faces. What does the Bible say? For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. I am, this partnership with God, His promise is to be with us. So many things cause me to fear. I mean, the world is full of fears. Have you noticed that? In fact, the 6 o'clock news is dominated by fears. Someone is shot two streets down from us. Uh, The pandemic is causing panic worldwide. continues to stick with us. In spite of our great hopes, vaccines, we're worried, we're concerned. 
love the story about a little junior high boy who was walking through a cemetery at night, fell into an empty grave, tries he might, he couldn't get out. Finally, he sat down and said, I guess I'll never get out of here. Then he heard a voice whisper in the darkness from the other side of the grave, Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> and pretty soon he found himself running along the street out of the cemetery. Lord, I cannot. I, I, I stutter. I. Oh, yes, you can. Do not be afraid of their faces. I am with thee to deliver thee. The Lord knew this. And he typically picks the weak to do his great bidding. In fact, the story of the Bible is really the wonder of how God uses the weak, the weary, the fearful to do mighty things. Help me think of a list of those. Just name a few. Jeremiah, I'll take the easy one. Who else? Gideon is another one. Mephibosheth. I wonder if I could say that this morning. Mary, Zacchaeus, who else? I hear whispers, Nehemiah, it's Sunday morning, I understand. David, Esther, Samuel, Moses, Jacob, Elisha, the boy who brought the lunch. The point is simple. God is not impressed with us. In fact, he is more impressed by our weakness. When we are weak, then we're strong. His point is, fear not, I've made you for this task and I've made you out of clay in order that the power might be from God. It's my calling, my message, and it's the partnership that we're in is I'm going to go with you. Isn't that wonderful? If you want courage this morning, if you find yourself always worrying, vacillating about the truth that God has given you, understand that He is with you, it's His message you're delivering, and it's His calling for you. Stand in those wonderful truths. Look at verses 17 through 19 of the first chapter. Therefore, gird up thy loins. <laughs> Stand up. Prepare for your ministry. Arise and speak unto them all, all that I command thee. Don't withhold the hard truths. Forty years of speaking hard truths. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. What does that mean? He's saying that. Don't lose your nerve because of them, lest I shatter your nerve in front of them. That's a good, loose translation of that. Don't lose your nerve, Christian, in this world, no matter what the political uh, mandate might be. Don't lose your nerve lest I shatter your nerve in front of them. I've called you. I'm with you, verse 19. They shall fight against you. And maybe we ought to look at verse 18. I've made you a defense city, a brass wall. You are gonna, your whole life is going to be aggravation <laughs> against the system and against the nations and against the religious system. Your whole life, Jeremiah, is going to be a you're going to be you against them, but it's going to be you and me. Maybe a good question for all of us this morning is, are you floating along or are you standing at all? Is there any, any friction because of your testimony at all? Some of us, I know this, just want to get along. 
just want to take the easy route. I know that. But his calling was to preach the truth that is offensive. Marvel not. I said, if the world hated me, he looked at us, they're going to hate you too. Get ready for it. But I'm with you, verse 19. Please understand, you and God make a majority. And Paul said, I, for my first defense, no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of what? Death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your calling, your message, your promise from God. And then briefly, as we wrap things up, courage is re- revealed in conflict. I really wanted to preach the whole message from this chapter, but let's just go there as we wrap things up. I think it's a wonderful illustration. Jeremiah chapter 26. He is now uh, standing in the face of a wicked king. Although he had some good years with Josiah, they were limited. Jeremiah's ministry was mainly to those who really were antagonists towards God. And he preaches to the point where he aggravates folks. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to condense these thoughts a little bit because I want you to see this, what I call his purple heart. In each of these four messages that we bring on courage, I want to share the, pul- the purple heart moment. We had a man in our church who was a Marine, and he won the purple heart. He was wounded in um, Vietnam, and he showed us the purple heart. He brought it to church. Well, I was so jealous of that guy. <laughs> I mean, how many? I probably ought to ask. Anybody here that won the Purple Heart, raise your hand. For extreme acts of courage in battle in the face of danger, the risk of life and limb. His uh, convoy was blown up. He was thrown in the air. He survived it. And as a result, he got the Purple Heart. This is a Purple Heart moment, chapter 26. He is he's continuing the same message. And, and he, gets, uh, he gets to the courtyard. He doesn't go to the king this time. He goes to the, where he ought to go, to the preachers. The problem with America isn't her political system. God never promised to save our political system. He's after the souls of men. And the, the message is always promulgated through the church. And so he goes to the temple. And Jeremiah begins to preach on the festival day, on the feast day, when people are gathering to go through the motions. They wanted to please God and please all the other godlets, so they were there at the temple, and he begins to preach. Either you repent and change your ways and see God bring blessing upon Judah, or we will go into captivity. It's a sure deal. Make no mistake. Non-negotiable. Either change your heart, or God is coming in judgment. There's the message. Verse 7, so the priests and the prophets heard all that Jeremiah said. The house of the Lord, and they came to vast, verse 8, when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had come, not some, but all, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him saying, hey, that was a good message, preacher. I like that outline. No, you, we're tired of it. We're tired of hearing these negative, non-positive messages. <laughs> we're tired of the negativity. So we're going to put you to death. You will surely die. The greatest friend you ever had 
is a friend that told you the truth. And so they, they come to arrest him and put him to death. And they say things like verse 9, why are you prophesying? Why are you, why are you demoralizing the people saying the house shall be like Shiloh, which is deserted? The city shall be desolate without an inhabitant. Why are you saying these things to us, Jeremiah? And well, the princes got wind of it as well. Verse 10, they came up from the king's house, the palace to the Lord, Lord's house, and they began to surround him. You can see this growing um, majority gathering around Jeremiah, the lone voice for godly. There were others who were preaching, but he was the, really the prime or the premier prophet at the time. Then spake the priests and the prophets, the princes, and all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then spake Jeremiah, here's the purple heart moment of the princes, to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me. I've got a calling from God. I've got a message from God to prophesy without wavering against the house and against this house and against this city, all the words that you've heard. I'm not here by accident. I'm here because God sent me. You are too, by the way. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings. I'm not mincing my words. Obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he has pronounced against you. There is mercy in heaven. As for me, here it is, verse 14. Behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But you've got to know something for sure. That if you put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves in the city and upon the, in the inhabitants thereof or of truth. The Lord hath sent me to you to speak all these things in your ears. Cooler heads prevailed. His life was not, his life was spared at that moment, at that conflict. But courage is always revealed in conflict. And here he stands before them and says, it doesn't matter to me. Obviously, I'd like to live another day. But I'm going to stand before you and I'm just going to reaffirm, reassert the truths that I'm here because God sent me. So are you. Ever think, why, Lord, did you bring me into this world at such a time and such a place? I'm here to reflect the grace and the glory of God, even though it's not popular or comfortable or convenient. I'm here in the courtyard of the temple saying to you again what God has put on my heart. These are not my words. And you either turn from your sin now or experience the sure judgment of God. Be sure your sin will find you out. The, the time between God's gentle whisper of turn and God's whip of judgment varies from life to life, but it is sure to come if we hold on to our sin. And here's a, here's a warning to all of us who are holding on to sin. Understand something. You're not getting away with anything. Jeremiah, the greatest friend that Judah had at the moment, simply voice the truth. I'm called by God. This is God's message. And it doesn't matter if you kill me. I'm not changing the message. 
What a purple heart moment. I pulled from my office uh, bookshelves a book that's been there since college. You probably have it too, a little dusty perhaps. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's full of purple heart moments for church folks down the ages. Stories told of three men. It's a true story who were locked up in Antwerp, the time when persecution, especially from the Catholic Church, was intense. And they were hauled in and, of course, asked if they'd recant. And they didn't. The greatest security we have as believers is not our doorbell system, that video camera that you installed. Here's the greatest security you and I have. It's our obedience to God. The righteous are as bold as a lion. When you step out of your calling and start living for yourself, you expose yourself to the enemy and you become the enemy of God. Well, these three men were called in. They wouldn't change their view and opinion of righteousness. It wasn't by works of the church. It wasn't by buying indulgences. It wasn't by worshiping the Pope or listening to him as God himself. They knew that their salvation was in the finished work of Christ alone. So in 1568, these three men were arrested for being reformers, Protestants. They protested the false claims of the Catholic Church, the heresy of the Pope. Scoblent, Hughes, and Cummins. They were to be martyred. Scoblent was burned to death while singing the 40th Psalm. Do you even know a psalm by heart that you could sing when your turn comes? Hughes died in prison just before he was executed. Cummins finally was asked to recant or die. The council asked, will you die for your faith? To which Cummins replied, I'm not only willing to die, purple heart moment, but to suffer the most excruciating torment for it, after which my soul shall be received by God himself in the midst of eternal glory. Being then condemned, he went cheerfully to his place of execution and died with great courage of spirit. Many of the martyrs died singing. Received into glory as great conquerors and victors in the faith. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.